I have a couple announcements for you before we begin our worship together. Uh, a reminder about the donation bins around the church for the Missions Kids Project, which is uh, they're gathering uh, hot chocolate and popcorn to give out at the Christmas parade. So if you uh, want to help with that and you have any questions, you can see uh, Katie. Today is the Sunday that is nearest Veterans Day, and I would like for our veterans to stand up. If we have any veterans in our congregation, would you stand up so we could recognize you? And now, if there are any, anybody here who has a veteran in their family, would you stand up? So I just want to see how many veteran families we have. We have very good. Look at this. That's wonderful. Let's give you all a hand too. Uh, you know, our flag, the flag is in our uh, sanctuary to remind us of the freedom to worship, uh, not not the freedom from worship, as as some people want to make it out to be today. But um, I'm, we're very thankful for the service of all our veterans and our veteran families. In two weeks, we will have our Pledge Sunday, which will be a combined service at 10 o'clock here in the sanctuary, which we'll have opportunity to make a pledge uh, to, to the 2014 budget. And so um, we will have a stewardship moment uh, here in just a minute. But before that, there's a, there is a, uh, a mission project, a local mission project that is being uh, done by one of the Sunday school classes. And Don Lewis, if you'll come to the lectern, he wants to talk to you a minute about that. And then once Don is finished, if uh, Scott, if you'd come up and give us our stewardship moment. Hey, good morning. Well, we had a speaker in here a couple of weeks ago that did a seminar about what we needed to do as a church, and he said we needed to focus on what we are. And our mission statement says that we want connecting to Christ and connecting to our community, connecting to each other, and we're a memorial. And I, I couldn't help but think that connects directly to what we're working on now for the project that we're doing for Thanksgiving baskets. We go to the guidance counselors at the local elementary schools. We ask them who the children are who are in need of food. And oh, by the way, 21% of the children in the upstate of South Carolina struggle with available food. And we get those addresses, we fill up boxes, we deliver those boxes on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, which is Consecration Sunday. And if you'd like to participate in either delivering those boxes or paying to fill those boxes, mark your envelopes with Thanksgiving baskets or call my wife, there's, whose number's in the, the bulletin, to say I'd like to help deliver either one would be great. Anything that's left over from that goes to Daily Bread Ministries, to Greer Soup Kitchen, uh, who also has a hunger walk scheduled consecration Sunday, and if you'd like to participate in that, we encourage you to become a part of that. I believe this church in the 25 plus years that I've been here is focused, is laser focused on serving people in this community and serving particularly those who are hungry in this community, and especially this time of year, the children. So we encourage your support. Thank you. While Scott's coming up here, I want to remind you that next Sunday at 11 o'clock, we're going to have a, a baptism. Uh, little uh, uh, Howard baby, Cameron Howard, will be baptized at 11 o'clock service. So don't forget to put that on your calendar. I, I don't think Reese Hannon is here. Are you here this morning, Reese, or the parents? Okay, so I'll speak. So I think maybe some of us were at Furman yesterday at the game. Okay, all right. <coughs> All right. The choir can't hear, and I, I know they're they're desperate to hear what I have to say. So, um, I, I spent a fair amount of time looking at the Bible and, and praying about what to say this morning. But let me just step aside for a minute. I'm not going to get up here and spiritualize a whole lot. That's why I was looking for Reese. Um, Reese, as you guys know, he's the uh, quarterback at that Furman yesterday. So <clears throat> we're, we're talking about stewardship, and it got to thinking that we have in our con congregation, really. Yesterday we had a, a shining example of that. Um, Reese is the quarterback, 
<clears throat> and I just want to ask a few questions. I know Don was there and uh, Margie, I guess you were there. That football <clears throat> that Reese uses, who does that belong to? Does it belong to Reese Hannon? It's not his, is it? Does it even belong to Furman, the team? Nope, because there were two teams on the field yesterday. And yet they, uh, they desperately struggle for it, sometimes to the point of personal fouls. They all really, really want that ball. And if the other one's got it, they get in a big scrum and, and, and they take it away. Every single play on offense when, when the quarterback, Reese Hannon, was on the field, he received the ball. But is it his ball? So, so what is his job? His job is to do the most appropriate thing with that ball so that his team accomplishes with something that doesn't even belong to their team that they accomplish what they, they set out to accomplish. Does anybody here know how many times Reese Hannon threw the ball yesterday? Forward pass? 14 times. Does anybody know how many times the people on his team caught the ball? Ten times, thank you very much. How many times did the other team catch the ball? Zero times. How many times did Reese Hannon drop the ball on the ground and let the other team get it? No times. Reese Hannon was an excellent steward of that ball that for some of the time, <clears throat> they, of course, God rules everything but they exercised responsible effort to possess that ball as much as possible and use it towards goal. And uh, I know Margie knows the answer to this. Who won the game yesterday? All right, there we go. So uh, he, when I see him, I'll thank him for being a walking example of, he was an excellent example of stewardship yesterday. And he was written up in uh, ESPN.com and the Sacramento Bee and a number of other places. So he was a good example to, to us and to our children. Okay, so I told you I wasn't going to spiritualize it. Now let's come back and talk about what a steward is. It, it, if you do go look at the Bible, <clears throat> the idea of a steward or stewardship, it's just you find it from one end. You, you can't hardly uh, turn a chapter of the Old Testament or, or the New without tripping over that idea of a steward. And it was so common, whether you were rich or whether you were poor, if you had brown skin or didn't or whatever everybody you could just take it for granted they would know what a steward was in the west in 2013 you can't take it for granted basically <clears throat> what what a steward is if you want to go go look it up it's it's actually it, in fact we should i would encourage you to do that but it's someone who is responsible when a master or someone who has a household, who has possessions, in fact, someone who has a family, when they're away, is someone who looks after their things or in fact their family when they're away. Um, and sometimes you'll see parables or you, 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 you'll see verses talking about looking after the master's estate or possessions or sometimes it has to do literally with taking their, care of their family, do with them, Act like you, you would own it. So we don't, the steward doesn't own it, but they're there to give an account for, for taking care of it. And they will give an account. Always in the Bible when we see stewardship talk, uh, talked about, uh, the steward is free 100% totally to do with the family members or the, um, those possessions as they see fit. But they're also very accountable to give an accounting for what was entrusted to them. Just like that ball, every, every snap, Reese got the ball, but it's not his. And he must give an accounting. He gave one in ESPN this morning. I've read it, I don't know about you. He gave an accounting for what he did with it. He acquitted himself very well. And, 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 and that's, that's what a steward does. Um, I need to close here, but uh, <clears throat> let me just mention to you, and I'm not saying that I would necessarily prescribe it here, but I'll tell you, I, I learned, I went to a, a, a church in college, and I learned more about stewardship, I think, there and, and, and church giving and that sort of thing. Uh, probably there more, more, more than any place. Um, first of all, uh, when it came the time in the church service to, to talk about money, what the pastor 
or whoever was introducing the service, they would say, is for those of you who aren't believers or if you're just asking questions or if you're not a, if you're not a member of this local congregation, God is not hard up and we're not asking for your money. In fact, we, we don't want it. You know, there are things we need to do and all that. We're not asking, so just relax, okay? If any of you here is visiting today and, oh no, hear these people talking about money, relax. God doesn't need your money. I don't mean that as an insult, but honestly, God is not hard up. Okay, and so once the unbeliever or the visitor is off the hook, let's talk to the members of the local congregation about stewardship. And then the pastor will circle right back around and say, you know what, slow echo, God is not hard up. God does not need our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. So, so what is it about stewardship that we're trying to do? And actually at this church, we had some boxes at the back and there was a little slot where you could quietly drop your envelope in there with, with money or whatever it was that, 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 that you could, uh, could give. And we weren't trying to browbeat or publicly cram a plate up under somebody's nose and shame them into giving or doing something because of what other people might or might not think about them. So what, what is stewardship? <clears throat> I think stewardship is the, when we participate financially and otherwise, with our treasure, what is it that we've got? We do have money, we've got time and different things. When we participate willingly in doing what God has called us to do. Furman was trying to score touchdowns and win a game. We're trying to do other things. And boy, Don, I appreciate you pointing out the mission of this church. He touched on what we're trying to do here. And there's stuff that we've got that we can use to do that. So... Um, uh, I guess I would just close with this thought that uh, giving or donating your time, or the, it's not just your, our, our money that we're stewards of. Whatever it is that you choose to give, you should give from a willing heart and not because of what other people do or don't think about you. God doesn't care about that. The only time I, I recall Jesus really getting angry and laying hands on people in the entire Bible from cover to cover was what? When people were using the, the, the temple as a money-making enterprise. So you visitors, you're off the hook, at least as far as I'm concerned. We're, this, this is not even really addressed to you. Are we using the stuff that God has given us towards the purpose that he gave us? And what, what I think we'll find is if our heart is in the right place, giving is an outcome. It's the fruit, it's not the root. Giving is an outcome, it is a result. And uh, if the heart is right, and if we're seeking Christ in the scriptures, the giving will take care of itself. At least that's how I feel about it. I hope nobody's sorry that I came up here and said that, but, but, but that's how I feel about it. Uh, and I think if you search the scriptures, I think you'll see a lot of uh, threads of, of, of what I just said this morning. I really appreciate everything you guys have invested in us and our family. Um, you guys are so invested, and I really appreciate from Reese to you sit with my daughter half the time the example and the investment of the stuff that you have. You won't be around forever, I won't either, but what you've done is gonna, sorry, but, okay, I'll stop there. Thank you.
Lord be with you. Let us pray together. Give us, O Lord, our God, understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and a faithfulness that may finally embrace you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us affirm our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. and let our children come forward at this time. getting fixed. 
Pastor Joseph is going to preach this morning on heaven, and I don't know what he's going to say, and he doesn't know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to talk to you a little bit about heaven. Um, do you know what heaven is? Say it again. Where God lives. That's a good answer. Do you know what heaven is? It's the place where when you die, if you believe in God, you usually go there. That's a good answer, too. As human beings on this earth, we think that we know what heaven is, but we really don't have any proof because we won't know about it for real until we get there. But there are things in the Bible and things that God has told us that we can have faith in and so we can believe that there is a heaven. Well, do you know what, um, do you know what color heaven is? What color does it make you think of? You think yellow? Okay. What do you think? Gold? Well, I think white. And so I have this cotton ball. And what do you think heaven feels like? Yeah, I think it's, it's got to be a soft place. Where do you think heaven is? Which direction do you think it is? Yep, I think up too. Right. Well, then there's another place that is a bad place to be. And it's called hell. Now, what do you think about hell? What, what color do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's darkness. Um, how do you think it feels? Very good. It's rough. I've heard that it's hot, too, but it's rough like this rock. Um, where do you think hell is? Yep, I think so, too. So I've got a cotton ball to represent heaven, and I've got this ragged rough rock to represent hell. Now, God has given us guidelines in the Bible, and he gave us Jesus to help us live the right way so that we can go to heaven. But I want to talk to you a little bit about what heaven and hell start with. Can you hold this for me? Jesus has been to both places because in the Bible, or when we say the Apostles' Creed, we say that Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. And there's one Apostles' Creed that says he descended into hell. So this piece of paper is going to represent both places, both heaven and hell. And so when Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried, we put him, or the the people put him in a tomb, and this is like the tomb. And on the third day, he arose from heaven. He arose and he ascended into heaven, and he sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Do you know what letter this is? This is H, and this is the black H, and it stands for hell. This is where Jesus went first. This is the white H. This is heaven. So he ascended into heaven. Now, John 3.16 states that God so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish. That God made it easy for us. If we will just live like Jesus lived, and if we will follow his guidelines, we can make it to heaven. So this morning I've, I've made a little bag for you, and it contains a cotton ball, so that you can live the cotton ball way to get to heaven. It contains a rock. That's so you won't live the rough way. And this rock is smooth instead of being rough because Jesus has taken away all the sting of our mistakes and he's taken away our sins. So you have a smooth rock and then you have an H that's black and white to help us remember. Okay, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Thank you for the opportunities that we have to make good choices, the cotton ball choices. And forgive us when we make the bad choices, the rock choices. Let us lead a life that will take us into heaven. These things we humbly ask in your name. Amen.
Our first scripture lesson is from Psalm 145, verses 1 through 7. If you want to follow along, it's on page 979 in your pew Bibles. A psalm of praise of David. I will exalt you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation will commend your works to another. They will tell of your mighty acts. They will speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They will tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They will celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Before we begin our prayer time, let me just report to you that I understand that Brett Claycamp, who is our wounded warrior, who is at uh, Walter Reed, went through his surgery uh, Thursday, and uh, so we're thankful for that. We want to continue to pray for his recovery. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Lord, in your mercy, hear the prayers of these people. Oh, God, you are a God of splendor and majesty, and we come this day to meditate on your wondrous works, to bless your name, to humbly come before you. Never have you failed us, but in spite of your graciousness and loving kindness, we often choose to live without confidence in your power. Our reliance is too often on ourselves. Rather than trusting in your goodwill for us, we try to make our own way in the world, and we end up putting ourselves in the place which rightly is yours. And when we remember the multitude of our sins and how we deserve your punishment, we are fearful. We are fearful that you may not forgive us, for we know we cannot forgive ourselves. So we pray this day, O oh God, individually and collectively as a church, that you would forgive us, forgive us all our arrogance and our transgressions, redeem our lack of faith, and help us once more to share in your resurrected life. And may the Holy Spirit uh, inspire us to be bold in our faith. And may it help us to remain faithful in your word. May it give us boldness to proclaim it. And may it give us witness to bring it to the places it needs to be. We pray also this day, O God, that you would be with those who live in the midst of suffering so that your presence may bring them healing and strength and hope. We pray for all those who are on our prayer list and in our hearts now. Help us to have a confident trust in Jesus' resurrection from the dead so that we may be prepared for life eternal with him. Help us, O oh God, to fulfill desire of our life with you. Help us to always call upon your name and answer what we ask. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who taught us to pray with these words. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us continue our worship with our giving. Let our ushers come forward.
be seated. Well, back during the summer, you know, I asked for some sermon topics, and one of them I got was, uh, can you talk about hell, which I did, and then when I come across this scripture reading that was suggested for today, I thought, well, heaven needs equal time, so we're going, we're, even though it wasn't requested, we're going to talk a little bit about heaven. So if you can give attention now to the scripture reading, uh, Luke 20, uh, beginning at verse uh, 27. Now some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and have children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her. And in the same way, the seven all did, and they all died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, Lord, tell us, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? And Jesus replied to them, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in that age and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the bush, the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living for to him all are alive. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your guidance through the Holy Spirit, for your scriptures. And even though sometimes they sound strange to our ears, we know, O oh Lord, that you will provide what we need to hear today. We pray in your name. Amen. Now, back in those days, there were basically three types of believers. They were the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and then there were the non-believers, or who believed in, not in our God, but in pagan gods and so forth and so on. so on. The Sadducees were part of this group who did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. And so in their question, which is really a question to try to stump Jesus, try to confuse things, uh, they hope that Jesus will, uh, in trying to answer the question, uh, demonstrate, you know, the foolishness of the idea of, of the resurrection and bolster their case. Some people have said that the Sadducees must have been very comfortable in their day-to-day -day living since they weren't concerned with the hereafter. And I believe that might be true of many of us today. We are so comfortable in our time that we tend to forget that we have this hope called heaven. Someone once said that death is a subject that people spend a lifetime trying not to think about. And I think that's probably true. But the thing is, whether we like it or not, death is an experience that we will all one day face. So let's look at this just a little bit closer in that regard and see how Jesus answers this these, this inquiry and how he brings out these things uh, for us to know about life after death. First of all, Jesus divides the discussion into two periods, and it's important for us to think about this. He described that age, okay, which is different from this age. Uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians echoes this kind of concept uh, when he talks about, uh, Behold, I will tell you a mystery. And the mystery is that the mortal life will put on immortality. Now, a key word in Paul's writing was mystery. He doesn't try to explain how God will do all these things. I'm not going to try to explain to you how God does all these things. But the thing is that Paul, like Jesus, comes from this basic point of view, and that is that there is a heaven. There is a heaven. And that's good enough just to know and to believe that there is a heaven. Now, Jesus shares with his listeners, I believe, two great truths about eternal life. First, Jesus says that in the kingdom of heaven, uh, relationships will be different than in this life. 
he notes three crucial differences. First, there is no marriage in that age. How many of you are married in here right now? Have you got some married people? How many of you remember your vows? The vows said, until death do us part, you see. There'll be no marriage in that age. Uh, I know some of you right now are going, great. <laughs> and some of you are going, oh, no. But this is what Jesus has said, that, that we will know those uh, people that have been our loved ones, but the relationship will be different. The second thing he, he tells us clearly in his scripture is that there is no death there in heavenly places. You see, he, he says there'll be no death that we'll be like the angels. Now, unfortunately, this phrase has caused some confusion in our time. There's a recent study that says that a good percentage of people think that when you die, you become an angel. Well, let me clarify something for you. If you are not an angel, if any of you are, you are angels now, just raise your hand and we'll give you the appropriate respect. But if you're not now an angel, you'll never become an angel, okay? If you are now a devil, I'm not so certain about that. You may end up still being a devil, okay? But angels are a created order of being, just like humans are a created order of being. And the angels uh, have a role in heaven, and the angels do not die, according to what Jesus has said. Uh, and uh, so angels are different than humans. We, so the, how are we like angels? What did Jesus mean? Uh, it's simply this, is that we're like the angels in two very important regards. One is we, the angels do not marry, we will not marry in heaven, and we will be in heaven like the angels doing the same thing the angels do, which, are, which includes things like seeing God, serving God, and praising God uh, throughout eternity. The Apostle Paul says that our bodies would be raised imperishable. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, but I believe that it means that uh, we will recognize people, people will recognize you, but your body and those other bodies will not be limited by disease, they won't be limited by handicap, and they certainly will not be limited by death. There will be no death in heaven. Now, if you remember Easter and Easter stories, uh, you remember that the Lord, uh, when he rose from the dead, that he was in his resurrected body, and uh, he was recognized by people, and people felt him. He even ate food in the presence of people. And yet, he could do things different. Uh, there were some differences. For example, he could walk through closed doors. Uh, so, friends, our lives in heaven will be different than they are here on earth. We will have our glorified bodies, and what all that means, uh, we have to wait to see. The second great truth that Jesus shares, I think, about the kingdom of heaven in this scripture is that not everyone is going there. Verse 35, it says, those who are counted worthy to attain that age, which implies that if some are to be counted worthy, others are, are not counted worthy. Uh, everyone will experience the resurrection of the dead in one way or the other. Uh, some will uh, rise to heavenly places and others will arise to eternal punishment. Now, Jesus was dealing with this group of Sadducees, okay? Uh, you know, I was trying to think of a modern-day example of Sadducees and, and the Pharisees, and I really could not. I first thought, well, maybe it's the Protestants and the Catholics, but <laughs> that doesn't work too good because that, that puts us over there on the Sadducee side, <laughs> looks like, with some of our thoughts. But anyway, the bottom line is he had to prove himself to these people because at that point in time, you've got to realize Jesus was not recognized yet as the Son of God, as the Messiah. Jesus had not yet been crucified and raised from the dead. And so whenever Jesus spoke and to speak with authority and to prove a point, Jesus would always refer to the Scripture. Now, when Jesus refers to the Scripture, he's talking about what we call the Old Testament. Remember now, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. 
The New Testament will be written after the resurrection. And so in proving that resurrection from the dead was a biblical idea, uh, he could have used many clear Old Testament texts. And I just want to share some with you because I think most of us think sometimes that this whole idea about being raised from the dead is just simply something from the New Testament age. But it's not. It has its basis in our, in our Jewish roots of faith, in, our, in the test, Old Testament scriptures. Let me give you a few examples. Isaiah 26 says, which is in the Old Testament, your dead shall live. My dead body shall arise, awake and sing, and all who dwell in the dust will also. The prophet Daniel in the Old Testament said, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And one of the better remembered lines concerning the resurrection comes from Job in the Old Testament when he says that I know my Redeemer lives and that he shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. This I know. But the Sadducees were a strange bunch, okay? Uh, they were a little bit odd in lots of different ways. And one of the things that the Sadducees did or thought was that only parts of the scripture did they adhere to. Does that sound vaguely familiar with some of the people in the world today? They only adhered to parts of the scripture. In fact, the only scripture that they adhered to was what we commonly call the words of Moses or the first five books of the Old Testament. And so if you were listening carefully to the reading of the scripture, you know that Jesus used an example out of the Moses' writings to prove his point. He said, even Moses showed in the burning bush passage, which by the way is found in Exodus chapter 3, that the dead are raised because he calls God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Jesus reasons that when God stated in the present tense, all you English teachers, this is why it's important, right, to teach your students things like this. Present tense, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Jesus reasoned that it makes no sense if they're not presently alive. Think about that. The Lord says clearly that the present tense language in Moses proves that those three were alive to God when God spoke those words. It is the resurrected living Jesus who is greater than death, who has assured us that all will be raised from the grave, some to their rewards and others to judgment. Now, lest, lest you are one of these people who says, I don't have anything to do with the Old Testament. We have a lot of Christians who say that these days. There's a writer in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 11, said this in support of what Jesus said and in support of all those Old Testament Writers, He said, by faith, Abraham was tested and he offered up Isaac, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. Sometimes I think we just discount the great faith of our forefathers before Jesus ever appeared on earth. This great faith of pe that people had in God's promises, in God's ability to raise people from the dead in God's great plan for all of eternity for people. Friends, the hope of heaven needs to be more than just something we recite at funerals. It needs to become part of us. Jesus is the person who speaks with authority about life after death because he did descend into the place of the dead and he returned to life. I would believe what Jesus had to say about this 
before I'd believe any modern books about near-death experiences, even though they are very interesting. Jesus is the one I would trust in knowing this, these facts. You know, there's lots of areas in our life in which we can afford to make mistakes. But in the question of eternity, we must not get that wrong. And so the Lord told those skeptics that day, and he tells any who are here today, that God is the God of the living. That all are alive to God. Now, some are alive in heavenly places, and some are alive in other places, in punishment places. And so as we read Scripture, as we study Scripture, as we come to worship and as we listen to the Word proclaimed, I think it's important for us to know and to understand that there are some truths that are universal, unlike the way it's often taught today, that truth is relative. Truth is not relative. There is a truth that is fundamental to our understanding as Christians in our belief. And when we base our life on that truth, then our lives can be lived with a certain amount of hope, a certain amount of adventure, a certain amount of confidence. You see, we don't have to invest all our time and effort here because we know there's something more, something beyond here. And through our baptism, our citizenship has been made for us in heaven. And because of that, we know there are things that are value in this life, but we also know there are things that are value in the life after and that gives us a freedom to live a certain way. It gives us a freedom to be concerned about the spiritual side of life, to be concerned about uh, living for Jesus Christ. Here's what I'm trying to say. Let me say it one more time in a more simpler way. I, we, are assured of heaven because of our belief in the promise of God. Because of that assurance, we can live differently. We can live for God. We can respond to God. And we can live in our day-to-day -day existence within that promise. And we can make decisions in that promise. We can sort out what is right and true within that promise. We can live with others in that promise. This promise of heaven is more than just uh, words uh, on a page. It is more than just something to be spoken to to families at funerals. This hope of heaven is a way to live. It's a way to navigate through all the passages of life. This hope of heaven is a way that we can come to know and understand in an increasing way the greater, deeper meaning of what this can mean individually for us as we strive to live faithfully in a world gone astray. Here and now today, the hope of heaven is something you should grab onto and use as you make your day-to-day -day decisions as you go through life. I pray that you will. Amen.
now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship and communion of the Holy Spirit, may they be yours this day and each day. Amen. Oh,